This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. Today we're looking back at the CES Unveiled Conference in Amsterdam. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad today we're looking back at uh, what was an incredible event in Amsterdam that I got a chance to go along to. Mm-hmm. I got I a chance to go to. Oh, you did show off. Yes, okay, oh. Stephen in Amsterdam. What a what a beautiful thing that was. <laughs> But no, it is important because CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, it's a, it's a huge event, right? Oh, it's massive. Actually, look, CES in itself, as, as we know because we've talked about it so many times on this show, the Consumer Electronics Show that happens in Las Vegas in 2024 and has happened every year for many years, is a, a wonderful opportunity to learn about the tech that's coming. That's really what CES is all about. It's yep. the starter conversation for the year for us. Now... That's not to say that every product that's showcased at CES will ever see the light of day. That's not always, That doesn't always happen, right? Sometimes you'll see a product that comes out, and you're like, wow, that's amazing, and it'll just never get off the ground, yes. thinking flying cars. Uh, so, you know, you, you see a lot of flying cars at CES. <laughs> Taxi drone, right? for one. <laughs> Taxi yes. drones. I saw so many of them in 2019. And as much as I keep checking the app store, it doesn't seem to be like an Uber for flying yet. So, not yet. you know. Give it time. Not yet, no. No, but uh, so, there is. Yeah. But for general trends, it's it's fantastic because mm. it does show you and it lays out what you're going to see as a consumer, what the technology trend is going to be for that year. In, in previous years, we've seen 3D televisions, obviously. Then it was all everything was um, smart enabled, you know, internet connected toothbrushes and toilets and everything else. And um, <laughs> for the year, you will see what is going to be the main trend or technologies that you're going to see in the stores. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this hour, we're going to sit back and relax and listen to some of the conversations that I had with various companies at CES in Amsterdam, the event that took place Kind of like a precursor to 2024's Las Vegas event, also an opportunity to highlight the innovation in tech in the Netherlands. And we're going to kick off with one company who's working to prevent sight loss. Yes, hi, I'm Jan Boers from Retinascope. Uh, we aim to uh, change the way people are screened for vision loss uh, because hundreds of millions of people are uh, at, at risk for vision loss and uh, screening is not up to speed. So we want to bring solutions that, that will change that and allow people to be screened uh, whenever they uh, want at whatever situation they are in. Tell me a bit more about the company. Tell me about the genesis of this idea. Yes, uh, the, uh, we started Retinoscope because we understood that uh, volume screening is, uh, is not happening. There are AI tools uh, and the, the companies that make AI tools, they asked us, can you make a camera that's much cheaper and much easier uh, to allow us uh, to do volume screening? At the same time, my father was uh, suffering from AMD, uh, so it was my motivation to really start this, uh, both the market and, uh, and why should I do this? Uh, so we started Retinoscope uh, in 2018 and uh, been working on products ever since. 
And, and what is so special about this product versus what, for example, when we talk about cameras inside a smartphone, uh, what's the difference? What, what does this see that the camera in a smartphone can't? Well, the, the retina, the back of the eye, uh, cannot be uh, uh, seen by a smartphone camera, uh, let alone cameras are not certified to do that, and that's required, especially in, uh, in uh, Europe and, uh, and America. Uh, you need to have certification to do uh, image, uh, images of the retina. Uh, the back of the eye uh, is difficult to, uh, to vision. So uh, that's, that's the main, uh, main differentiator. And then we, we make devices that are easy to use so that uh, anybody basically can make the pictures and the pictures can go into AI to, to get the first results. And then you will have uh, 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 the idea and the knowledge does, do people need to go to an ophthalmologist for further checkup or are they okay? And that's a big differentiator. Now many people go to an ophthalmologist uh, because they, are, they have some eye problem but it may not be related to DR, diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma or AMD. Uh, so that's uh, clogging up the system, uh, specialists, uh, eye doctors, uh, they, they can use their time better. So explain to me then in a bit more detail about who this product is being built for, as in who this would be sold to. Uh, it will mostly be used in primary care by uh, doctors' offices, uh, uh, pharmacies, optician chains, uh, and it will usually be provisioned by a service provider that organizes the whole chain from uh, making the pictures until uh, the results coming back to the, to the patient in the end. Uh, that will know uh, 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 to go to an ophthalmologist or not and when to take the next screening. So it's, it's an organizational thing uh, just as much as a technology thing. Talk to me a bit about the diagnosis levels at the moment uh, because we were talking obviously about Western versus developing nations but where are we at the moment in terms of identifying who has these, these eye conditions that you're, you're using this for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with, uh, with the proper image of, of the retina, you can uh, find early uh, stages of diabetic retinopathy, AMD and glaucoma. Uh, probably even before people have an idea that they have uh, an eye problem. Uh, they may have other eye problems, but mostly the indication is a diabetes patient, because diabetes patients will very likely get DR during, during the course of their illness. Um, we even found that this kind of uh, screening can, can actually find diabetes patients that already have early onset diabetic retinopathy but did not even know that they were diabetes. So that's, that's something that uh, can, can be uh, very helpful if you do a, a large-scale screening because half of the uh, diabetes patients are, are not yet identified as the diabetes patients. So finding them will allow them to be uh, uh, treated earlier, uh, which both for their diabetes but also for eye condition will, will have a lot of benefits. And as you know, the health system really needs to change the way uh, uh, we are working. We have to find uh, uh, patients early so that their, their quality of life will be better, but also the societal costs are very high. Just for vision loss, the, the societal cost, not, so non-care related, is, is uh, estimated to be 60 billion a year. So that kind of cost, uh, societal cost, can also be reduced by, um, uh, by earlier screening. And talk to me about the value of this kind of product in the developing world. 
Um, uh, the, the problem in the developing world uh, is that you also need a treatment option uh, to f if you want to find the patient and then you cannot uh, uh, do anything. That's not very helpful. So I think th th uh, there will be stages. Many, many countries that are currently low middle income actually have great uh, uh, medical uh, systems already. But uh, adding screening for vision uh, uh, issues will help to find patients early and not get become a burden on the on the system and on the people uh, as it is uh, now so the, uh, I think finding the right tools uh, they will probably be different from what we are using in the uh, in the high-income countries but even high-income countries have a lot of uh, uh, spare uh, screening uh, opportunities uh, like in Saudi Arabia is a high-income high country but if you want to do a screening of your retina, you have to go to Riyadh. So they are working on uh, uh, making that more accessible by moving it into uh, uh, health uh, healthcare uh, facilities uh, nationwide. And in the longer run, bringing it, to, bringing it to primary care will allow everybody to be screened properly. And because it is low... Um, very low threshold screening. It's very easy to do. It doesn't cost much time. It doesn't cost much money. Uh, a GP can can regularly screen people that that may only have uh, glasses, but they could easily uh, uh, progress into other illnesses that they are not aware of yet. So, screen, screen, screen is is what we are saying. Just finally, I want to ask you about uh, the availability of this and also talk about the, the work you're doing in Glasgow. Because I'm interested in this from my own point of view. I'm thinking, oh, Glasgow's involved. We talked about Glasgow yes. beforehand. <laughs> Tell me about what Glasgow's doing, what Scotland is doing to, to help further this, this cause and, and further this area. Yes. Um, first of all, availability. Uh, we have a device that's available from a few weeks from now. Just finishing up the certification, which is always a big hassle. But uh, we are almost done and then it will be available uh, and we are talking to quite a few uh, organizations to do pilots because we need to understand how to actually implement this in primary care. How to make it ubiquitous for everybody that wants, for any diabetes patient, to really get the screening instead of just talking about it. And then about uh, Glasgow, uh, we had a great contact at basically at the start of what we are doing now. Uh, with um, a researcher at the University of Strathclyde. He became our advisor and then uh, we identified uh, some projects that he was working on that really need an industrial partner. So research is great, but uh, if you have an industrial partner that can actually bring it to market in the end, uh, that's really open, opening up a lot of opportunities. So we got a smart grant from uh, Scottish Development uh, we have some people within the university that basically work for our projects uh, and we continue to think about uh, what is needed for uh, improving the screening uh, together with the university, the biomedical engineering department uh, yeah, to, to look at what's next because we can make a product now but if that's all we have then uh, uh, as a company it will not be valid but for the world it will not make a big difference uh, either. We need to change the paradigms and that needs other technologies than what we can do now. And that was Retinascope, a company that is attempting to prevent vision loss by creating tools 
to identify eye conditions early. I mean, what an incredible invention. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It could be life-changing because there's so many times and situations where a simple screening, a view of the retina can save sight from being lost. Yeah, I had, I had hands-on with this. And the way to describe it to me is, or to anyone else, is like it's like a hairdryer. It's, it's exactly what it is. It's like a hairdryer. Uh, with an iPhone attached to the back of it, which I have to say for hairdryer companies, that could be quite a good invention. Um, well, it's all about the, the lens, the optics that it uses, the ease of how you can use the power of a smartphone camera. All smartphone cameras now are incredibly powerful. But getting that, that light and the lens and the positioning that you need, which is what this product actually adds to the, uh, to the, the procedure. Yeah. Now... Interestingly, this was one company of many that were at CES in uh, Amsterdam, the CES unveiled event that I was at. Uh, around 80 companies were there. And it's fair to say that a number of them were focused on uh, what you would say robotics and engineering, and in particular AI being used in robotics and engineering and in industry as well. So lots of talk about logistics, moving products from one place to another and using robotics and AI to solve some of those logistical problems. One company in particular I thought was incredible was a company that would develop medicines uh, via 3D printing. So instead of having a situation where you have to go somewhere or you have to send lots of medication to a particular place, you can just email a prescription and it will print out locally. Now, to be clear, this is not for us. This is not something we could just go out and buy. This is something that has to be administered and very much is something that would be available in a, in a pharmacy, for example. But it shows you how we can get away from this idea of having these logistical problems of trying to, we talked about it last week, having the challenge of going to the doctor and saying, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have any of those tablets in at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It'd be no problem. You just say, do you know what? Give me an hour. I'll print you some out. Job done. I know. It is. I mean, that is living in the future, but it's absolutely from a practical point of view, I mean, it's streamlining, streamlining the whole process, right? It's taking out that bottleneck of logistics and waiting for delivery and distance. You can just, okay, let me hit print on that. It blows my mind. It's amazing. Now, while a lot of these companies weren't focused specifically on accessibility, I think a lot of them were accessibility adjacent. Now, this next company definitely falls into that category. Uh, and I would say even arguably is more about accessibility, in particular for those who have lost their voice, are losing their voice, or who have a stutter. I spoke to the CEO of Wisp. My name is Joris Kastermans. I'm the founder and CEO of Wisp. I came up with the idea of Wisp because I stutter myself. So now I'm pretty fluent, but as a child and in my youth, I was a moderate severe stutterer. And I really felt the pain of not being able to express myself. At high school mainly, that was a drain. So uh, that was the starting point of the idea for WISP. Uh, in, in combination with the insight that when people stutter severely, when they whisper, they are really fluent and relaxed. And also making phone calls is really terrible for people who stutter severely. And that's interesting because that innovation, it, it comes out of something so natural, whispering, right? I mean, that's something that we can all do. I, I didn't know until I read about your company that whispering can actually be easier for people who stutter. So what was, what's the evidence on this? Where did the information come from? Was it personal experience or was this something you actually investigated and researched? 
So when people who stutter severely, when they whisper, they are really fluent. And this has been researched. So there are papers that which state that the, the average stutter frequency uh, drops where, with uh, 85% when people who stutter when they whisper. So, and of course, we did research ourselves. We uh, published a scientific paper about this ourselves too. And we learned that also on a mid-term, so not the direct effect of whispering, but also when you do it for a certain amount of time, the effect, the positive effect sticks. So talk me through how a call works. So when you're making a call, someone whispers using this technology, talk me through the process and what the person on the other side hears. With our calling app, people can initiate a call, so they can choose the contact from the contact list or they, uh, they can type in a, a phone a number with a dialer. And at that moment, of course, we are using in-stream real-time AI to convert the whispered or affected speech. So this is a real new product a, a category, right? So also from a point of privacy and security, you know, of course, the voice cloning and spoofing examples. So we show a signal, uh, an automated short sentence is projected for the listener, for the recipient, that the call is made with the WISP technology. And like you say, security is everything, right? So, and of course, with artificial intelligence, this is an ongoing debate around privacy. So that's something you're very aware of, something you've built into this. Yeah, with WISP, we used a, a privacy by design a mechanism. Um, the thing is, you can, when you have uh, still your own voice, like people who stutter severely, they can record their own voice. So they can personalize the WISP voice uh, with about two minutes of their recordings. People who lost their voice in the past, they can send us recordings and we create their personal WISP voice. And of course, we do this um, under a severe um, and, and well-curated process. Of course, it's critical. I mean, using people's biometric data. Eh? Voice is, of course, biometric data. So we are really um, uh, keen on doing this right. What makes this stand out differently to other text-to-speech and speech-to-text options out there? The assistive voice technology of WISP is really unique because it works real-time. Uh, current solutions use uh, speech-to-text for non-standard speech, eh, for example, and use speech synthesis. So we are focusing on people without a voice. So we, we give people a voice. We convert whispered speech and affected speech into a person's natural voice. When the articulation is affected dramatically, we can't help people. So our positioning is really clear. We help people uh, by giving them their voice again. And how can people get the app? What, what stage is it at in development? Can, can we go download it now and try it? You can currently download the WISP app in Play Store and Google Play. You can record and convert voice messages. And soon, the beginning of January, we will launch the phone functionality. So you can make real-time phone calls with the WISP app. And that was the CEO and founder of 
WISP, W-H-I-S-P-P. And it's available on uh, the Google Play Store and also on the Apple App Store as well. And again, another example of how technology is making people's lives better. I mean, this is just incredible. The idea that you can whisper into this device as someone who has a stutter. And, you know, I didn't even know until that conversation that whispering could actually make it easier for someone who stuttered. I I didn't know that. It's amazing, isn't it? Those little things that you just don't even think about. But, you know, think how much that that would impact on someone's life, that anxiety and tension of making a phone call, you know, and just communicating in real time. Um, I can only imagine how difficult that can be sometimes. So this would make a huge difference. And as was was said there in the interview, we have technology like this already where you can have predefined sentences and phrases that you can, you know, almost like a soundboard. Mm. Um, but having it done in real time, that's the key, right? Being able to have a, a real-time communication which feels less awkward. Absolutely amazing. And this is where, you know, so you look at something like Apple's personal voice and people might point you back to that and say, yeah, but Apple do that. And yeah, that's great, but this is built specifically for people who want to, in this case, whisper. Now, I don't think that personal voice might work in that way. No. I don't know if it would know how to deal with that. So, you know, again, it's great that these features exist and there are many people who will benefit from them on the iPhone, for example. But for those who need that little bit extra, that is where these specialist apps come in. And I have to say, this is where apps are fantastic, right? Because you can download that app you can have access to that service, that technology, and you're not paying the disability premium tax that we often have to pay, (laughs) you know, if it was a physical box we were buying. Yes. Um, Let's move on. Uh, Let's talk about something you and I love to do, and that's get on the treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. Virtual walk is an incredible idea. Uh, You know, if you go for a walk and you uh, think about the whole thing about a treadmill, you get on there, you're just walking in a straight line the whole time, it might feel a bit monotonous. It might feel like something that gets a bit boring after a while. Uh, Virtual Walk hope to change that, and they hope to make the whole experience a bit more social as well. I caught up with the founder. Hi, my name is Frank Nievenhuis. I'm one of the uh, owners of the uh, company Virtual Walk. Uh, basically what it is, it's a haptic treadmill. Uh, on which you can walk in real 3D, so you can walk, turn corners, and get the experience of being in a in a live area outside. And you can do this on your own, visiting the Grand Canyon, or you can uh, walk together in the Grand Canyon with um, uh, friends uh, uh, who is also online on the same kind of system. So it's really about experience while walking. And on a normal treadmill, you just walk straight. And here you can actually walk or you feel your brain tells you that you're walking corners or free in the in the environment. So describe this to me because I'm trying to visualize this in my head. Explain this to me in a way that I can understand how this works because the idea of turning left on a treadmill sounds like disaster. So, so explain to me how this works. So I will explain you how it works. It's, it's, it's basically really simple. Your brain thinks you're turning a corner when, when you have some kind of experience. And the most important thing is your vision. So once your vision thinks you're taking, turning a corner, that's what you're doing. And you're holding a steering bar, and when you want to walk left, you automatically press uh, uh, on the steering bar a little bit, and then we make the screen turn. And then you feel like you're making a turn, whereas you're not. But 80 or 90% of the, of the experience is your vision. So. Once you, once you have your vision turn 
as a result of your upper body giving, giving some forces on the handlebar, then you really experience that you're making a turn, but you're not. You're, you're forgetting about your legs, your legs just walk straight, and, and you, you have the experience you make a turn. Really cool. How did this come about? What, what prompted you to design this? Ah, very good question. I was a, a treadmill producer for a long time, and we made very high-end treadmills, in, and you were walking in an IMAX theater. This is for rehabilitation. And then we noticed you couldn't take a turn because you always had to walk straight. And then we had these nice environments, but you always had to walk straight. And so we were triggered. How can we make a turn? And then finally, we found out how to do it. So we, we, we have a handlebar, and the handlebar, we see how your, your upper body is giving a force. And if you want to turn, that's what you do with your upper body. You make a torque, so you turn left. We, de we detect that, and then we make the screen go, uh, and then you get the experience you're actually making a turn. You mentioned that it came out of an idea, I mean, obviously around your own treadmill production, but also uh, rehabilitation. So this is somewhere, where, another area where this could be really useful. Yeah, well, I, I think the most important here is, is uh, rehabilitation of your experience. So for people that are afraid to go outside, uh, people that are afraid of dogs, People that are, so in, in those kind of things. We see markets outside rehabilitation, but in rehabilitation, lots of these kind of things. We can play with the environment and make it more and more stressful, slowly. Yeah, so instead of making going outside in a nice, quiet environment, we create a nice, quiet environment and we place and, and we do things. Also EMDR. EMDR, for example, you have to, to be around and, 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 and have your eyes move at a certain point. Well, we can do that by following a bird in the sky. So you're, you're doing the treatment while you're not even realizing you're doing the treatment. That, that improves the, the effectiveness. Uh, does disability play a part in any of this? Do you ever think about disabled people and how they could benefit from this? Well, the basic thing is I always make treadmills for rehabilitation. That was my profession. So it was, it was built with rehabilitation in mind. And then afterwards we said, oh, but this is also good for architecture and those kind of things. But we actually started building it for EMDR purposes, so for rehabilitation. And is this a product we can buy now? Yeah, it's, it's a, it is buyable at this moment. Um, uh, we, have, we have developed it over the past few years, two, three years, uh, and it's now getting available. This is why we're going to the CIS. And how much does it cost? Uh, that, is, that, is, that depends a little bit on how much software. Uh, but it will be in the order of forty to 50,000 euros. So it's a considered purchase. And, and are you imagining this for individuals at home? I mean, could you envisage a consumer product here, or is this mainly for, for either hospitals or, or, or places, gyms or whatever who might want to invest in that? Yeah, we, th we think in the beginning it will be for a professional market. And once the numbers go up, once it starts to be a little bit of a product, it will, it will come down, of course. That is always how it goes. But in the beginning, you need to have a lot of um, uh, support and a lot of uh, uh, overhead, and you have small numbers. So you have to start at a reasonable price in order for us to survive. Uh, and over time, when, when numbers in the professional market will pick up, I think after, after a while, it will also be available for private persons. Having said that, there's lots of people that, have, that, that, that could really benefit, and they are private people, and they are a little better off than average. Of course, we will, we will work with that as well. So there you go, Sean. Uh, if you've got a few extra, you know, maybe 40 or 50,000 euros lying around. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, yeah, can, yeah. you can buy one of these. 
Look, the, the, the gamifying of the fitness market is huge, right? Peloton and everything like that. There's a few others in this market as well. Um, it, it, because, let's be honest, exercise is incredibly dull and boring, right? And if you can socialize that, uh, make it more convenient and you know do it with friends, it's fantastic. Obviously, this is for a particular market, as he said there, very much in the rehabilitation uh, at that price point. But, yeah, give it a few years. Who knows? Yeah, and it's also important to say, again, that at CES, you're seeing products which either may never see the light of day, are already seeing the light of day, but very much focused on business. And what we're seeing really is is how this technology will develop over time and will become consumer-led products. I mean, this is where the innovation starts. And yes. that innovation then trickles down to the rest of us. Um so, yeah, I mean, they're very interesting, but, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go out and spend that money on that as much as I think it sounds amazing. Um, although I was a little bit concerned around, you know, you need vision to or use your vision to to navigate. I thought, mm, yeah, okay. I, yeah, but I mean, it makes sense for the mainstream. I yes. mean, I turn corners in real life and don't even realize I've turned a corner. So um, I don't think it's going to make much difference to me. Sean, I, I think you have turned a corner in life. Oh, that was beautiful. What a beautiful moment there. I'm touched. Is it time for a break? I didn't I didn't say that it was uh, a good corner. I just said you're oh, on the corner. I didn't you say there's any positive in there. Uh, yes, we do need to take a break. Uh, this is uh, a CES special. We're uh, looking back at CES Unveiled in Amsterdam. Call the Double Tappers now. 1-877-803-4567. Or email us. Feedback at doubletaponair.com. Today on the show, we are looking back at CES Unveiled in Amsterdam that took place on uh, Thursday, the 12th of October, 2023. And uh, I got the chance, Sean, to find out all about the future. Yes, what is coming up in 2024 particular i mean you know i can't obviously get into too much detail because i don't have a crystal ball it wasn't that kind of conversation huh. but it was a conversation around technology and what numbers. might be the next <laughs> big thing in particular at ces the consumer electronics show in las vegas i caught up with the man behind the show well this is actually i think the sixth year that we're doing the live in-person event here in um, the netherlands and it's awesome i mean the the dutch innovation on display here at ces it's unveiled is fantastic. Every year it's inspiring to meet with companies to see what they're oftentimes bringing to CES in Las Vegas. And for us, it gives us an opportunity to kind of provide a sneak peek of some of the trends that we're seeing um, at CES in Las Vegas this coming January. So it's, it's always inspiring to be here. It's great. It's enthusiastic. There's some great people that we work with here. So I, I'm, I love it. Tell us about the top trends that you're excited about at Las Vegas 2024's CES. So I think there, there's several things at CES that we're seeing, where we're areas where we're seeing growth. So first would be the transportation mobility space. That's a space that has evolved over the past couple of years of CES. There's a huge electrification story that we're seeing at CES with electric vehicles. We're starting to see electric boats. So we have a, a few boat manufacturers. We're starting to see, um, we have EV tolls, which is the electronic, uh, or the flying cars, essentially. Um, and then we have um, you know, that space has evolved to the point where you actually have some construction, agriculture type equipment over there as well. Um, so that's one area of the show, and that's in the West Hall at the Convention Center. And we actually occupy the entire West Hall of the Las Vegas Convention Center, which is really the transportation mobility um, area of the show floor. Health. Health is growing, is a growing category at CES, and it's not, it's not just devices. You're starting to see health 
um, you know, health companies that are making solutions where, that can provide, um, you know, that contribute to healthy lifestyle, for instance. You're seeing manufacturers such as Abbott Laboratories have a presence at CES, and you're also seeing companies um, like the payers, um, the insurance companies have a presence at CES as well. So it's the entire health ecosystem that we've seen grow out at CES and really see the impact of how technology is directly impacting and changing that industry. So that's another key area that we're seeing um, growth at CES. And then our startup area. And the startup story at CES is huge. We have over a thousand startups, um, some of which will be here on display today at CES Unveiled in Amsterdam. But to me, that's one of the most unique areas of the show floor because we have a, it's such a diverse area of the floor, meaning that we have a wide array of different types of companies showcasing different types of products. We also have a wide array of countries represented. So we expect probably anywhere between 15 to 20 countries will have a pavilion down in that space this year, which is amazing. Um, and I think we'll have close to 70 companies from the Netherlands will be down there. Other countries such as France, Italy, Korea, and others will also have a presence down in Eureka Park at the Venetian. And that's, to me, again, it's very exciting just to walk the show floor to see not only the products, but just there's a vibe in that space where people are ex really excited and passionate about what they do because all of them are entrepreneurs. They've invested a lot of their time and resources in creating and developing these products, and then they bring it to market at CES. And to me, that's it's, it's awesome to see, and it's very inspiring as well. And tell me the story of accessibility at CES because that's a growing market, isn't it? It is. It is a growing area of the show floor, and I think what we're starting to see is that more and more companies recognize the need to design products that can meet the needs of the accessible community. And so we actually will have some conference sessions built around this at CES. Well, I know we'll have, um, there'll be companies showcasing technologies for that community at CES. And then we as an association, actually, we have a foundation and we um, work with several companies and different organizations to help support the development of products um, to meet the needs of the accessible community. So it is, I think you, that story will be on full display at CES 2024, probably more so than it has been in previous years. And tell me about the importance of this event today and why you're here essentially. So this event here in, in, um, in Amsterdam, we've actually partnered with the World Summit of Artificial Intelligence. That's the first year for this partnership. Artificial Intelligence will be on full display at CES. We've been hosting this event here in Amsterdam since 2017. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to connect with a very important market for us, being the Netherlands. Um, the Netherlands has a large presence at CES. It's also an opportunity for us to provide a sneak peek and again into some of those trends that you'll see at CES. And today we're actually making multiple announcements um, keynote announcements that you can expect to see at CES from uh, very diverse companies that will be present at, this, at the show. Anything you can tell us that's coming up at CES that, that people don't know? What's our, what's our scoop here? <laughs> well, but we have announced two keynoters. So L'Oreal will be keynoting at CES, as will be Walmart. So those are very exciting. You know, we have a theme for CES. And last year, for the first year, we announced, we announced a partnership with the United Nations and the World Academy for Arts and Sciences, where we showcase how technology is furthering the development and supporting human securities. So basic human rights, like the right to food, the right to healthcare, these sorts of things, there's seven of them. We worked with our partners and two weeks ago we made an announcement that technology is that eighth pillar of human securities. So technology is now considered one of these basic rights, if you will, uh, which is really fascinating for us. And it's really exciting for us and you'll see that play out through the show, the show floor. So you'll see how show, technology is supporting 
the, and furthering the development of these um, these human securities at CES. And so you'll see that that will be woven throughout our conference sessions, it'll be woven throughout the keynotes. And from what we hear, many of the companies will showcase how their com companies and their products, technologies, are su supporting this tech for good concept. And just before I let you go, you mentioned L'Oreal, uh, which is a big announcement for, for a keynote. Um, especially because it's a very new area, or it feels like a new area, bringing beauty and tech together. We're seeing fashion and tech come together. Uh, how important is that? It is, it's really important. I think L'Oreal has participated in CES for 10 years, I believe. And so they've won multiple of our innovations awards over the years. And they actually, um, you know, what they're doing is they're creating products and technologies and they're furthering. It's not just, you know, applying makeup on your face, for instance. They're really utilizing, it's showcasing how they're utilizing technology to create a better experience for their customers um, and to connect with customers in ways that, you know, they haven't been able to do so before. So this is a growing area of the show floor. Beauty tech is a huge market globally, obviously. Um, and again, every company is a tech company. And so I think you really see that play out at CES where every company, every industry, technology impacts it. And you see that across the show floor in the 30 plus different categories represented at CES. That is John Kelly. He is the vice president and show director of CES. So he knows his onions and <laughs> he is a fantastic guy. He was really good to talk to, to learn about those top trends. And also later that day, uh, after I'd spoken to John, uh, Siemens and NASDAQ were announced as keynote speakers joining L'Oreal and Walmart on the show floor and did the keynote stage at CES in Las Vegas in 2024. So lots of interesting conversations to come out of that. And you know, again, a wide range of companies that you wouldn't necessarily think of. I mean, Walmart, you wouldn't... I mean, I know they sell tech, but you wouldn't think of them as a tech company. But of course they are. Of course they are. Yeah, you wouldn't think of them as actually being involved as, as anything else other than you know, selling the products, right? And again, it's it's a reflection of the Consumer Electronics Show. When you hear that name, you're thinking, okay, this is, you know, Sony or LG or Samsung showing me their latest TVs, but it's so much more than that. And it does go deeper and further and use those names, those companies that I would never associate um, L'Oreal, for example, with no. something like this, but it's absolutely there, yeah. Uh, I want to move on to another product that was uh, on show at CES unveiled in Amsterdam, and that is a company called SmartCare. Uh, they had a product there called Victor, which is essentially a product that allows people who want to remain at home in older age, who don't want to move into residential care or move into a care home or anything like that. They want to live at home, but they want that security of knowing that there's help available if and when they need it. And this company goes a little bit further than some of the others I've heard about. Let's hear about SmartCare. Hello, my name is Jan Hein Aftenwinkel, and I'm the CFO of SmartCare. So tell me about SmartCare and what it is and what it does. SmartCare is a medical um, technology company, and they developed a platform and a device to enable 24-7 monitoring of patients in the care and the cure market. We're seeing more of this, aren't we, in, in the sense of trying to keep people in their homes. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that process and, and tell me about your company in that regard. SmartCare has developed a, a remote monitoring uh, device and it is a, quite a small device that is placed on the upper arm and it measures uh, all the vital signs of a human uh, body and 
one of the important uh, benefits is that it's, it works out of the box. So you just put it on the arm, they know it's working, and uh, all the relevant information is passed through a, um, uh, what is it called, it's a 5G, I don't know what it is called in Canada, but it, it's, it's similar to a cell phone. And all the data is transferred to a platform, and uh, people from uh, a care company, they can monitor your uh, performance, just like an Apple Watch, but on, for an Apple Watch, there's no one watching your data. Well, I am, uh, or our company, enables 24-7 monitoring. So if a patient is not feeling well at home, they can press a button and someone can uh, give a phone call or come over to, to help the person that is in, in a certain need. And the interesting thing for, for people that uh, try to stay home as much as possible and don't want to go to a hospital or uh, a care institution is that um, all the vital signs can be um, sent to, to the care company. And while that is done, um, yeah, it, it gives a certain comfort to people. And, then, and, and that is a nice thing. And when people are really feeling ill, a doctor can look at the data and say, okay, I will come over to you or other way around, you, you need to see a doctor. Because the vital signs are deteriorating, for example. And, and tell me about how your product compares to other, there's a lot of these products on the market, right? Yeah, so yeah. tell me about how this differs. Yeah, I think there are uh, two important uh, uh, differentiators. One is it works out of the box and it is directly connected to the cloud. So there's no need to set up Wi-Fi connection or a Bluetooth connection with your phone. That's always risky. Sometimes it's complex for people, they don't understand it or they don't have a phone or they don't have Wi-Fi. So that's one benefit. The other benefit, it's, the, it's directly linked to a, a cloud platform that is specifically made to enable the uh, disclosure of all the relevant data to, to the people, to the caregivers, so to say. And that's an, so it's a really integrated uh, combination of platform and device. And tell me about availability of smart care. Uh, at the moment, uh, smart care's product, it's called Victor, is available in the EU market. It is certified, it's MDA certified. And at the moment, we are looking into uh, ways to uh, expand the, the medical certification in the US and, for example, uh, Canada. Uh, but it's time consuming. We need to take a couple of hurdles to uh, make that happen. But towards uh, year end, we hope to. Uh, to uh, submit the application and then in the course of uh, next year, probably the first quarter, we hope to be certified in, uh, in Canada and uh, North America and uh, hopefully we can enter the market there because there are a lot of people uh, actually using remote monitoring uh, concepts. So uh, it's a big market for us, very interesting and people are really used to uh, working with the product already there. That was SmartCare, S-M-A-R-T-Q-A-R-E, and uh, really interesting. And we continue the conversation on health, learning about a product that can help prevent people having attacks when it comes to COPD. Hi, my name is uh, Rob Hachmeier. I'm an associate professor in engineering fluid dynamics at the University of Twente. So tell me why you're here and what you're showcasing. 
So uh, we like to um, uh, say uh, spread the news about our idea. So we are the startup company and we make uh, remote monitoring devices for people that have COPD and with the objective to prevent them from ending up in hospital once or twice or thrice a year. And we do that by monitoring the respiration pattern of these patients with the very simple idea on the background that if you end up in the hospital somewhere along the line you started breathing differently from your normal way um, and that's what we clearly see so we do clinical tests at the moment in two hospitals in the Netherlands and uh, we clearly see that people getting an exacerbation as it is called we clearly see in our signals that that the problems are are there and so we can predict more or less at the moment that they will end up having antibiotics and prednisone and if you if you leave it uh, untreated they will end up in hospital and that's what you're trying to avoid right you want to avoid absolutely that situation so how is this presented? Is, is it something we wear? Is it something that is, is in our home? How, how does this all work? Right. So it is a, a nasal cannula that is very well known by COPD patients. It's, it's, main, it's always used to provide oxygen to the patient. We use it in a completely different way. Nothing flows through it, but we measure the pressure at the end of the tube and that pressure is exactly the same as the pressure in the nose of the patient. And if the patient breathes, this pressure wiggles around. We absorb that, uh, absorb that signal by a 4G network, SIM card. We send it to our servers and the servers analyze the signal and uh, extract the uh, respiration pattern. Patients do that for two minutes, twice a day. That's all uh, they need to do. They just sit with the cannula and breathe normally. That's all. All patients tell us, well, there's no effort whatsoever. We just have to do it and that's it. And from these two points per day, we track the respiration pattern. And if we see abnormalities, we will, uh, in the future, we will intervene. At the moment, we don't do that because we are clinically testing it. And what are you hoping for in terms of buy-in? I'm guessing this is something that you want local government, or governments and healthcare systems to adopt. Yeah, that's what we hope for. So in the Netherlands, where we are right at, at this moment, in the Netherlands, the healthcare healthcare system allows already for remote patient monitoring, so monitoring a patient at home. And we hope to sell this uh, to the health, uh, health insurance companies because they also benefit from this because uh, the first thing is that we keep patients out of the hospital for the patients because if they avoid these hospitalizations it's better for them but also for the healthcare uh, health insurance companies uh, it's a very costly business and that's what we try to avoid so 
we we try we will try to sell it to the health um, insurance companies. And tell me about the reaction you're getting, because obviously you must be talking to these companies already to gauge their interest in this in amongst the clinical trials. What are, what are, what are their reactions to this technology so far? So the reaction of the health insurance, uh, quite positive. There's a lot going on in this field. So many uh, companies are trying to do this. Um, there is success, there is also less success. Our system is unique in the, in the sense that we, meet, we measure the complete pattern. So what we actually measure is the so-called flow volume curve. And that is very well recognized by lung physicians. They know what the flow volume curve is. If they see one, they immediately see, well, this patient is not doing well or he is doing fairly well. Um, and that is very interesting for the health insurance companies. But uh, maybe here in the Netherlands, it's a little bit slow, but they are definitely interested because the healthcare system is, challenged, is facing a very challenging period because uh, yeah the, the, the amount of doctors per patient is de is decreasing 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 so there is a high tension on the healthcare system at the moment to get all the patients uh, uh, helped basically Really interesting to see what's going on in the healthcare space there, of course, with Ames and Smart Care as well. Smart Care, uh, instead of C, it is a Q for care uh, in their name. Now, Sean, before we go, uh, one final interview, and uh, this is all to do with a brand new watch that doesn't have a face. A what? watch without a face, yes. It's called No Watch. Hi, my name is uh, Michiel, um, and I work at Now Watch. Now Watch is a wearable it's a smartwatch that doesn't have a screen, but it's basically smart jewelry. So we built a stylish health tracker that focuses on stress mainly. So we're the best stress tracker in the world. And it also attracts sleep and movement. And, and I'm guessing you're building this from the, the perspective of wellness, of trying to create a product which can make it more enjoyable to have a device not just another screen on your wrist so in this fast-paced society people are losing the connection with themselves um, and we feel that one of the uh, reasons for that is all this technology that is constantly like bombarding us with stimuli basically and we are connected with the outside world so to say so with uh, calls and messages and we're just all the time online basically but that's also why we lose the connection with who, who we are and how we feel. And we believe that this is a major reason for people getting burnout and getting sick because of all the stressors that they experience during the day. And so we built a device that is nice to wear uh, because you, you can wear this every day. You can actually uh, take out the front of the watch and the wristband as well. And the technology is just inside of here. So uh, it's really customizable per day. And it doesn't have the screen that distracts you, but it connects to an app, and that's where you can read your data. Describe this watch as much as you can for me. So now watch consists of three different parts. It has a case that comes in a gold, rose gold, and a silver uh, coating. Um, and it is a round uh, watch 
And basically you can add to that with uh, 18 different straps. So these are leather straps, recycled ocean, plastic straps, and these come in di 18 different colors. Um, and then on top of that, the watch basically itself is empty. So it is kind of a round uh, watch, so to say, but the watch face is not in there. And in that watch face, you can add uh, 10 different discs. So, and those discs are ranging from amethyst uh, uh, minerals to white agate, uh, all kinds of other minerals, basically. And that make it really look like a piece of jewelry. And on top of that, there's three metal discs. And those are really clean, uh, a clean surface, basically. Uh, from metal, also in these three different colors, gold, rose gold and silver. And then at CES 2024 we're releasing three Kronos discs and you can also add them and add them to the watch basically. Um, and those will tell the time. So that will be a traditional watch face so to say. Um, and you can take all of those components apart in and out, but the casing itself, that's where all the technology is inside. So that's what measures your, your stress, your sleep, and your movement. So, so talk me through how the operating system works, because you say there's no screen. Yeah, so it can communicate with you through vibrations, and you have this little uh, button here, and the, that crown, you can press it to say, for example, hey, I want to do a check-in, or I want to start measuring a particular window of time. We call it a session. So... When you're, gonna, when you're experiencing a stressful event, you can press the button, for example. Then on your phone, you will get a notification and you can check in uh, there, like you can say how you are feeling, basically. And this is a way of adding subjective input um, to the sensor data. So instead of just relying on all the sensors telling, kind of telling you how you feel and things like that, uh, we try to make it more interactive because technology is quite good but it's not there yet that it can always tell you how you feel. And we want to work with the user basically in uh, getting a more accurate profile of how you're actually feeling. And that feeds into this algorithm. Tell me about availability of all of this. So now what you're shipping uh, since uh, the beginning of this year to North America and Europe. So people in, we get orders from Canada all the time as well. Um, and you can choose on, the, on our website, you can choose what configuration you want. Uh, and basically you can choose all the products. So then you will have 18 different, or no, even 150 different ways of configuring your watch. Um, or you can just choose one color, one strap, one disc. And that's all available on our website and we ship within three days. Uh, and the price, we're changing the price a bit. Um, but so far it's starting from uh, 399 euros and depending on how many discs and straps you add it can become more expensive but so on average our customer spends around 450 euros per order so lots of questions about that watch without a doubt uh, <laughs> yes. we are going to be investigating that with a review soon i promise you because uh, i kind of like the idea right i've seen this kind of hybrid smartwatch design before and it's Never been the most accessible for us, so 
We'll see. Mm. Uh, no screen should be app. accessible by its very nature. But yeah, but how, how do you know the, the time? How <laughs> <laughs> you tell the time? Uh, really interesting innovations, as always, at the Consumer Electronics Show in Amsterdam. I was so glad to get there. Hopefully start getting there more regularly. The event itself, of course, has been going on for six years, which is incredible. Thank you to everyone who spoke to me. Thank you to everyone who made the journey and the whole experience as uh, wonderful as it was. Uh, that is it for us this week and today. We are back, of course, soon. Keep downloading, subscribing to Double Tap, wherever you find us. And don't forget, we're on Everyday Noon Eastern on AMI-audio. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.